This episode of Into the Fae contains themes that may not be suitable for some listeners. Please see our complete list of trigger warnings in the show notes. Listener discretion is advised. Also, before we begin, this episode contains words from languages that this narrator is not wholly familiar with. Pronunciation will be attempted and failure will result. I would like to apologize in advance. No offense is intended. A lonely hilltop sits in the way of a newly constructed road. The construction crew scratch their heads, unable to figure out what is going on. They need to demolish this hill to make way for a road, but each morning they return to the construction site to find their equipment damaged or missing. It's almost as if someone, or something, doesn't want this road built. Since the beginning of written history, stories have existed of unusual creatures residing in the hidden spaces of our world. The fair folk, the she, the good neighbors, fairy. They exist in our minds and throughout almost every culture. Devas and sprites, pixies and dryads, they come in a variety of sizes and shapes. Humanoid creatures with magical abilities to bewitch and seduce their targets. They are both feared and beloved by many. Come with me as we travel into a world of wonder and magic, and discover what makes the Fae, what to do, or more importantly, what not to do, when you meet one, and explore the various incarnations from gnomes to kitsune. So sit back, relax, and join me as we enter into the Fae. There are few creatures of legend better known than the elves. From the shortest of Santa's helpers, to the tall and statuesque Tolkien creations, elves have captured the hearts and minds of many a fantasy aficionado. But where did they start? Dating back to Germanic folklore of the 13th century, the elf has had quite the journey into what we know today. The most detailed depiction of early elves comes from the Prose Edda, a handbook on poetics by Snorri Sturluson from 1222 to 23. Sturluson classified these creatures into two categories, light elves, called Asolvar, and dark elves, called Dalkavar. Later, Scotland and England came to know their own versions of the elf, and the stories have lasted to this day. Jacob Grimm, of Grimm Fairy Tales fame, attempted to classify all of the different types of elves from all the different lore and came up with a three-tiered approach. Light Elves, Dark Elves, and Black Elves, called Swaltalvar. The Light Elves were largely the same, the Dark Elves were not necessarily black, but more pale and dirty, and the Black Elves he considered to be more akin to dwarves who worked the forges so much it caused their skin to turn black. We'll start where it all began, with the ancient Germanic Elves. There are many theories as to what the three kinds of Elves of the Prose Edda represented. Light elves were said to be kind and benevolent. The term elf or elf means white one, and they were known to be as white as the sun, more beautiful than the fairest of humans. Some compared them to Judeo-Christian angels, but it seemed more likely that these elves were part of the Germanic pantheon and lived in the land of Alfheim, or in the heavens themselves. Ruled over by the god Freyr, they were minor deities themselves and had a talent for creating precious objects and possessed agility to rival the most skilled humans. 
These early elves were human-like in appearance, but not in size. In fact, they were quite small, although still considered extremely beautiful. Dark elves, in contrast, were said to be black as pitch and anything but kind. They lived underground in Svaltelheim, and some scholars believe them to be demons, although the black elves could also have been considered dwarves. As dwarves were said to live in Nidalvindin, this is less likely true. It is said when the god Loki sheared off the hair of the goddess Sif, he then entrusted the sons of Ivaldi, a group of dark elves, to craft replacement hair. These elves were tricksters and fiends. They would emerge from their dark home and sit on the chests of sleeping humans causing nightmares, and the word Alpdrukken means elf pressure. Alp is another form of the word elf, which is where we get elf. Old Norse mythology was largely an oral tradition, and unfortunately the prose Edda only briefly mentions the dark elves, so there is not much known about these creatures other than they were malevolent. As we move ahead in time, we travel to Western Europe, where the elves took on a different look and mannerism. Here, the elves grew to human size, and while they kept the beautiful appearance, they were no longer considered the benevolent demigods of the Norse. In fact, most of what we know has been translated by Christian monks and handed down over centuries. As the Christian religion viewed the worship of elven folk as superstition and pagan, they began equating these creatures to demons that sprung to life when Cain murdered Abel, and as fallen angels who sided with Lucifer against God. Elves in Europe became wicked beings and were said to be the cause of all kinds of illnesses in both humans and cattle, using projectiles called elf shot to inflict the disease, specifically epilepsy, in humans. One famous poem by Rallus Cursing reads, There every herd by sad experience knows how winged with fate their elf shot arrows fly. When the sick ewe her summer food forgoes, or stretched on earth the heart-smit heifers lie. In addition to causing physical harm, these elves also played with humans' hearts. Since at this time they were still beautiful, they became known for seducing humans, often taking their lovers by force, especially if that lover was a fair maiden. To go with this, many epics of the time tell tales of heroic men and their sexual exploits with elven women, and talk of the elves being ancestors of some men. It was even said that the dead could be reborn as an elf. These tales gave rise to the many legends and lore that we have today. By the late Middle Ages, elves again took on a transformation into creatures loosely tied to fairies. This was helped along by William Shakespeare and other writers of the time and their creations such as Puck or Robin Goodfellow. They began to be associated with hobgoblins and brownies and were known to be deceitful and mischievous. In Scotland, they were said to do the bidding of witches, and being caught dealing with them was proof enough of witchcraft. In Scandinavia, they were less outright malicious, and were known as beautiful females who lived in the hills or mounds of stone. They would be seen at night or in the cold mists of the morning dancing across the meadows, and if a human were to stop and watch the dancing, years would pass them by, although it would only feel like hours. In their wake, they would leave behind mushrooms or round patches of grass known as elf circles, and it was said that these must be treated with care, for disturbing or disrespecting one could cause illness. Urinating on an elf circle was said to cause venereal disease. Author Anne-Marie Hellstrom had this to say, On lake shores where the forest meets the lake, you could find elf circles. They were round places where the grass had been flattened like a floor. Elves had danced there. By Lake Tisneren, I have seen one of those. 
It could be dangerous, and one could become ill if one had trodden over such a place or if one destroyed anything there. The most common elven illness in Scandinavia were rashes, and these could be cured by a forceful counterblow using bellows. If one made a mistake and angered the elves, they could seek out special petroglyphs known as alucarnas or elven mills and could appease them by placing butter into the mill as an offering. Another way to keep oneself safe from elven disease was to carve an elf cross into a building or wear it as a pendant. An elf cross was either a pentagram, which was still used into the early 20th century, or a cross carved into a silver plate. This plate had to be forged during three evenings with inherited silver from nine different sources. In some locations, it then had to be placed on a church altar for three consecutive Sundays. In 15th century Europe, elves began to get a reputation for kidnapping. Changelings were elven children who were switched out for human children and left with human parents to raise. We'll get into changelings a bit more in their own episode later on, but for now they were known to be sickly and rarely lived to adulthood. Nursemaids and midwives were also in danger of being whisked away by elves. For reasons unknown, the elven women desired human midwives to help birth their children and human nursemaids to care for them. While the women were in their realm, they would be offered food and drink, but it was said that if you ate or drank anything offered, you would never be able to leave. Now let's take a turn and move into the 19th century. In 1857, Harper's Weekly published a poem that would change the image of elves forever. In his house upon the top of a hill and almost out of sight, he keeps a great many elves at work, all working with all their might. To make a million of pretty things, cakes, sugar, plums, and toys, to fill the stockings hung up, you know, by little girls and boys. This poem, entitled The Wonders of Santa Claus, told the tale of Santa Claus employing elves to make the toys and treats he brought to children on Christmas. Around the same time, a cartoonist named Thomas Nast published a photo of small, green-clad elves with long noses, pointed ears, and pointed hats making toys in the North Pole as Santa's helpers. These two occurrences are suspected to be the origin of Santa's elves, and since then the image has expanded into books, movies, and songs. In the 1960s, a new tale was published that once again evolved elves into a form that has lasted to this day. When J.R.R. Tolkien released the Lord of the Rings series, he bestowed upon elves a rich and extensive history, as well as a complex and beautiful language. These elves were tall, statuesque, and beautiful. With long hair and pointed ears, they displayed a love for nature and a disdain for dwarves. Tolkien turned the world of elves on its head. These are the elves we know and see today on television and in video games. While most people now consider elves to be fictional, the belief is still strong in the country of Iceland. There they are called Huldafolk, or Hidden Folk, and one story says that the name comes from Eve hiding her children from God. D.L. Asleman writes in Folk and Fairy Tales, a handbook, Eve was embarrassed that her children were dirty when God came to visit, so she hid them away and lied about their existence. God knew of her deceitfulness and proclaimed, what man hides from God, God will hide from man. These children became the hidden folk of Iceland who often make their homes in large rocks. The belief in these hidden folk is so strong that road construction is often delayed in places where the elves are said to call home. Workers will find broken machinery, lost tools, or other mischievous happenings that keep them from finishing the project if it endangers the hills the elves reside in. 
In fact, there have been several cases where planned construction had to have it certified that there were no sites of archaeological interest or elven homes in the areas where they were to build. While not everyone in Iceland believes in elves, the belief is strong enough to warrant respect from the government. So there you have it, the history of elves. From minor deities to mischievous tricksters and back to almost divine beings through the centuries. They have supplied us with endless tales of adventure, danger, love, and fear, and will probably continue to do so for years to come. Whether you believe in them or just like the stories, one thing is for certain. They have had a lasting impact on the world we both share. Thank you for listening to Into the Fae. This concludes this week's episode, written and recorded by me, Allie. The music today was The Seely Court by the late Glenn Reisner. Please like us and subscribe on Spotify, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. If you would like to contribute to the show, there is a donate link in the show notes, or you can support us on Patreon or Ko-fi. I am looking into some goodies for our Patreon supporters, so if you have any ideas or just want to comment on the show, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at IntoFayPodcast, or drop us an email at IntoTheFayPodcasts at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening, and we'll see you next time.